I'll begin by saying that Wednesday is the winter solstice. Mm. Winter solstice, the so-called beginning of winter, the, the shortest day of the year, at least in the northern hemisphere where we have the, the shortest amount of daylight and the longest night. Um, and of course, it's the opposite in the southern hemisphere. Uh, on the winter solstice, Every place in the Arctic Circle is in 24 hours of uninterrupted night, and all of Antarctica, the entire continent, is in 24 hours of uninterrupted daylight. Um, And it's funny, the mystics say the first day of winter is the first day of summer, because, of course, Wednesday will be the minimum of sunlight, and, of course, it will just start increasing from there. And so for the next six months... Starting on Wednesday, the day will be getting steadily longer. And of course, the ancient peoples really believed that what was happening is that the the old year was, as it were, dying. You know, it was running out of juice. The, the, the points of sunrise and sunset keep on, you know, they've been moving further and further south. So the sun is just making these tiny little arcs rising in the southeast and setting in the southwest. It was like the whole the whole year was sort of waning and running out of juice. And so what the what the solstice represented was for them the birth of light at the heart of darkness. And really, this is this is the the primary theme that was in all the ancient solstice holidays, and really in the the modern solstice holidays also. Um, of course, next Sunday is Christmas, and for Christians, that is the birth of light in the heart of darkness. You know. And today is the beginning of Hanukkah, which in the in the Jewish celebration is the birth of light at the heart of darkness. Um, it's funny because, of course, Christmas is a is a relatively important Christian holiday, and of course, it's become a major capitalist holiday, and and capitalism has made Hanukkah much more important than it is in Judaism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, by by all standards, it's a relatively minor holiday in Judaism. Um, curiously, the story of Hanukkah does not appear in the Jewish Bible at all not in the Jewish Bible, it's not in the Protestant Bible, but it is in the Bible of the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox people. So Roman Catholics can read the story of Hanukkah. You know, it's kind of crazy. Um, Briefly, very briefly, the story of Hanukkah is that um, in the second century BC, the, the Seleucids the Seleucid Empire was basically Hellenizing um, the Palestine region, trying to make them introducing more Greek culture. And some of the people living there really loved it, and some of the people saw it as a violation of their traditional ways. And so there was this kind of civil civil war might be too too large to say it, but a but a struggle between the you know the conservatives and the liberals basically. Um, and the leaders of the conservatives was this group called the Maccabees, Matthias Maccabee and his sons. Um, and at one point, they were trying to rededicate the temple. And, and I'm a little unclear on on why, but they they only had one vial of oil. And 
eight days later, they were going to be able to get more, but this one vial was only going to be enough for one day. And so that was a cause of some concern. But then miraculously, that one vial lasted for eight days. And so again, this kind of birth of light where you weren't expecting light, that kind of thing. Um, and for whatever reason, that, that whole story and that story of, you know, the archetypal idea of, of birth of light at the heart of darkness uh, got me thinking about the theme of resilience. And so the, kind of a roundabout way to say that I was gonna, I'm going to talk about resilience tonight. Um, and to talk about resilience, I'm actually going to um, talk about it in terms of four texts that are actually from Eastern religious Eastern religions. Um, the first is from the Ijin. And this is the... So the, the Ijin is a, is a Chinese divination manual, uh, one of the oldest books on the planet. It was already ancient by the time Confucius wrote his commentaries on it. Um, and so this is, this is not the Confucian commentary, this is the core text of the Yijing, the ancient text of the Yijing, a hexagram called The Well, which is number 48. The city may be moved, but not the well. It neither floods nor is exhausted. People come and go to draw from the well. If one gets down almost to the water and the rope does not go all the way, or the jug handle breaks, then misfortune. And so it's using the image of a well really to point to, ultimately to point to a source within us. You know, this source that, you know, we can draw from this source, but if for whatever reason I'm not able to reach down that, to that source, you know, the rope does not reach down, um, then that's, that's misfortune, you know. Then I'm living on the surface of life and essentially I'm, I'm battered by whatever the ups and downs are on the surface of life. Um, resilience in some way is this ability to draw on this deeper depth, this depth that is below ego, um, to establish that connection to, to, you might say, an inner source of replenishment. Um, And it's tricky because it, it's something it's something outside of ego and outside of ego's control, you know? And, and insofar as ego loves to be in control, it doesn't like to admit that there are even things outside its control, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and so there's, there's part of, of resilience is a kind of letting go and a kind of trusting, a trusting of something deeper. Another quote I want to share is from the Tao Te Ching. The next three are from the Tao Te Ching. So this is from section 15. Who else but the sage could quietly and gradually evolve from the muddy to the clear? Who else could slowly but steadily move from the inert to the living? The one who keeps the Tao does not want to be full, but precisely because she is never full, 
she can always remain like a hidden sprout and does not rush to early ripening. And so there's a lot there. Um, part of it is the movement from muddiness to stillness and clarity. The, the idea, you know, the image of when, when water is stirred up, it can be very muddy. And then as you let it sit, the settlements slowly settle and then it becomes clear again. And so the idea of doing something similar with our psyches, you know, letting, letting the, the, as it were, the mud of thoughts and feelings clear and settle. But then the, the second part of that is once we're in that settled place, moving from complete stillness into vitality and action, you know, and, and again, touching that inner source and then being able to act from that inner source. You know, Gandhi talked a lot about an, a, a voice he called uh, the inner voice, and he would just sit in meditation and consult this inner voice, and then this inner voice would guide him really on, on all his satyagraha activities. And I also like the idea, part of that is uh, the one who keeps the Tao does not want to be full. You know, we live in such a consumerist culture, you know, and some people can want to consume stuff. Other people want to consume experiences, you know. And there's not a whole lot of space for emptiness, for silence. You know, what does it mean to create moments where your life is not full? You know, what does it mean to enjoy moments when your life is not full. And I love love the phrasing, you know, because the sage is never full, he does not rush to an early ripening, you know. How often do we rush to an early ripening? <laughs> How often do we not have the patience to wait until something, you know, I want it now, I want it now, you know, this sort of thing. So there, there's a lot there. And so part of, part of resilience, again, is stopping, being able to stop and drop in. It's about, we don't necessarily have resilience when all of us is in the mad rush of the day. We almost have to take the break from, from the mad rush to tap into that resilience, and then we can go back to the mad rush, you know. And also, it's an interesting thing, you know, what is our relationship to fullness and emptiness? And how much are we filling up, how much do we fill up our day? How much do we fill up our time? How much do we fill up, you know, our spaces with sound, you know, with chatter? Because it's really in silence that we find strength. You know, there's there's a a tremendous power of silence that is that is vastly underappreciated by this society. Another aspect, this is from section 50 of the Tao Te Ching. It is said that he who knows well how to live meets no tigers or wild buffaloes on his road, comes out from the battleground untouched by the weapons of war. For in him a buffalo would find no but for its horns, the tiger nothing to lay his claws on, and a weapon of war no place to admit its point. 
How is this? Because there is no room for death in him. And so kind of a a fanciful Taoist sort of phrasing. Um, But one very practical way to read that is, we're often hurt in the ways that we allow people to hurt us. You know? In other words, I often like to say the insult that lands is the insult that part of us believes. You know, if someone gives you an insult and you don't believe it at all, like if someone calls you a giraffe abuser, like, (laughs) you don't believe that. Like, you're not insulted by that because no part of you believes that that is true, you know? But if someone says, oh, you're selfish or you think too much about yourself, it's like, ooh, that cuts a little too close, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, You know, and and it's this lovely Buddhist teaching that the person who insults you or the person who triggers you is your teacher. Because they're, they're showing you the way that, you know, they're showing me the way I'm still attached, you know. I must still be attached to something around that because when that person said that, it really triggered me, you know. Of course, that's the last teaching we want to hear when we're triggered. And part of it is also, what do we spend our time magnetizing? You know, if I walk around all the time creating scenarios of doom in my head, you know, we, we magnetize what we think about. We magnetize what we send our attention to, you know. We live in a very different world if we're cultivating gratitude all the time. You know, gratitude is also incredibly powerful and incredibly underappreciated, you know. And so just what, you know, like if I'm expecting the worst thing to happen, then chances are pretty good that I'm going to, like, play into making the worst thing happen, you know. You know, and similarly, if I'm expecting the best thing to happen, you know, so what 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 are we attracting by our internal dialogue? A final quote from the Tao Te Ching. When a man is living, he is soft and supple. When he is dead, he becomes hard and rigid. When a plant is living, it is soft and tender. When it is dead, it becomes withered and dried. Hence the hard and rigid belong to the company of the dead. The soft and supple belong to the company of life. And that one's, that one's particularly tricky, and particularly tricky in a society that, that values hardness and firmness and, you know, look how strong I am, I'm firm, you know, like this sort of thing. Um... A lot of rigidity and a lot of emotional hardness comes from wounding. It comes from places where people are wounded. And, you know, if you think about what happens when you're hurt, you know, you hurt, you know, you hurt a muscle, your body locks up. You know, you, we tend to lock up in pain or lock up in fear, you know, and especially when it happens early in childhood, sometimes those places get stay locked up for years, you know. Um, a lot of healing 
is about softening, relaxing, opening. It's a very gentle process. And, and the funny thing is, ultimately, we relax into resilience. We don't achieve resilience. We don't conquer it and seize it as our own, you know. We relax into it. We, we allow it, you know. It's, um, and it's very much about cultivating a kind of inner softness, an inner suppleness, you know, to, to allow ourselves to be supported by this. Um, the word resilience um, literally comes from the Latin, and etymologically it means to bounce back. It has, the, has the, the connotation of something almost elastic that bounces back to shape. You know, I think of, of what one, one speaker years ago, I heard him say something along the lines of, blessed are the flexible because they don't get bent out of shape. <laughs> um, and it's an interesting question. How do you bounce back? You know, when impacts land on you, do they break you or do you bounce back from them? You know, what do you bounce back from? You know, and what would allow you to be that much more loose, that much more playful, that much more in dance? So that the shocks of the world would bounce off you rather than nailing you. You know, and again, it it's, goes back to that that uh, the Taoist quote about the, you know, the the tiger having no place to attack you. You know, it's um, yeah, because part of our, how can I say, there's a large um, there's a large current in this society of encouraging victim narratives. And there's all kinds of victim narratives in society. And and victim narratives are a way, basically, for me to hold on to my pain and be proud of my pain, you know. Um, and to hold on, you know, hold on to a victim narrative is to invite more pain into my life, basically, you know. Healing is, it's about relaxing, but it's also about self-responsibility and, and this kind of radical relying on oneself, you know. And so it's this paradox of this, you know, this place of self-responsibility that is also soft and supple, you know, not like the, you know, the self-made man who's rigid and, you know, I rely on myself, you know, kind of thing. Um. So a number of paradoxes in a way. I'll share the quote sheet. First I'll share it with the, the Zoomies. So I have the the Yijing and the Tao Te Ching at the top. For good measure, I also have a quote from Confucius. 
our greatest glory is in nev- and it's not in never failing, but in rising every time we fall. From the Dogen Tantra. As a bee seeks nectar from all kinds of flowers, seek teaching everywhere. Like a deer that finds a quiet place to graze, seek seclusion to digest all that you have gathered. Like a madman beyond all limits, go to where you please and live like a lion, completely free of fear. From St. Hildegard of Vigen, even in a world that's being shipwrecked, remain brave and strong. And it's funny how that metaphor, you know, I'm sure it, it felt like it really worked very well in the 12th century, you know, but it also, it also works very well today, the world being shipwrecked. Schopenhauer said, every man takes the limits of his own field of vision for the limits of the world. And it's a, it's a funny thing about our world. I talked a couple weeks ago about how we live in a society that prioritizes safety. And there's, you know, there's some lovely things about safety. I mean, it's lovely that we feel safe here, that we can have a conversation. But when safety becomes normalized, then nobody knows their real limits anymore. And it's, it's the tendency of ego to believe that my limits are much, much closer than they actually are. You know, and so what's the last time that you allowed you, you allowed yourself to, you know, go past your perceived limits, you know. From the preacher Henry Ward Beecher, hold yourself responsible for a higher standard than anyone else expects of you. Never excuse yourself. Never pity yourself. Be a hard master to yourself and be lenient to everyone else. Helen Keller said, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Eddie Hillisum said, I draw prayer round me like a dark protective wall, withdraw inside it as one might into, the, into a convent cell, and then step outside again, calmer and stronger and more collected again. RFK said, those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Maya Angelou said, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. This wonderful one from Mary Oliver, someone I loved, someone I once loved gave me a box full of darkness It took me years to understand that this, too, was a gift. From Dieter Uchtdorf, it's your reaction to adversity, not the adversity itself, that determines how your life story will develop. You know, and it's it's a very, very funny thing about control. We often have very little control over what happens to us and world events and, you know, what other people say or do to us, but we have 100% control over how we choose to respond to it. Bob Marley said, you never realize how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. You know, 
It's an interesting question. When was the last time you put yourself in a situation where being strong was the only choice you had? Elizabeth Edwards said, Resilience is accepting your new reality, even if it's less good than the one you had before. You can fight it, you can do nothing but scream about what you've lost, or you can accept that and try to put together something that's good. Carolyn Mace said, Whatever in me is stronger than what is out there to defeat me. Tara Brock said, If our hearts are ready for anything, we can open to our inevitable losses and to the depth of our sorrow. We can grieve our lost loves, our lost life, our lost health, our lost capacities. This is part of our humanness, part of the expression of our love for life. And as we bring a courageous presence to the truth of loss, we stay available to the immeasurable ways that love springs forth in our lives. Paul Dini said, when it's only you that you can rely on, you're surprised at the resilience you have. J.K. Rowling wrote, Rock bottom became the solid foundation in which I rebuilt my life. Jody Picoult said, The human capacity for burden is like bamboo, far more flexible than you'd ever believe at first glance. Cheryl Sandberg said, quite simply, Each one of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Steve Maraboli said, Life doesn't get easier or more forgiving. We get stronger and more resilient. Germany Kent said, it's, fun, it's a funny thing about life. Once you begin to take notes of the thing you are grateful for, you begin to lose sight of the things that you lack. Susie Kassam said, if the fire in your heart is strong enough, it will burn away any obstacles that come your way. Yasmin Mogahed said, Resilience is very different from being numb. Resilience means you experience, you feel, you fail, you hurt, you fall, but you keep going. And Kamal Ravakant said, Success and failure come and go, but don't let them define you. It's, it's who you are that matters. <laughs>